So last week we started the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. There's around seven of them. Uh, there could be more depending on how you count. And last week we went through how Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Um, and what we really wanted to point out, and I, I, I may have done a good job, maybe I didn't. Man, I'm telling you, like the drive home from all my sermons, that's when the message is really good. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'll give a sermon and I'm like, and then I'm driving home like, oh, I should have said this and this. So y'all just all need to ride home with me because afterwards I'm always like, oh, this would have been great. And so I, I tried uh, to do our best to communicate when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Uh, part of what he's communicating is referencing back to the, uh, the Israelites in the desert when he would say uh, they would go out each day and pick up manna and they would give him, uh, they would get just enough for that day and that the Lord's daily portion is just what we need uh, for that day. And then as we looked at the gospel of John, uh, you remember Jesus, uh, or John writes, he says, hey, these things are written so that you might believe and that, might, and that by believing you might have life. And that word life does not mean that your heart is beating and that you're breathing. That is a part of life. But the whole purpose of this, uh, the whole purpose of the gospel, the whole purpose of Jesus is so that we would have this life that's like a spiritual vitality, uh, that it's like this unseen thing, uh, that there is this spark inside of us that makes us to where we can uh, find joy in the highest mountaintops and we can even live in joy in the deepest valleys, right? And it's not that Jesus changes our circumstances to make life easier, but that despite our circumstances, we can find peace and life in those circumstances. And so all through the Gospel of John, as, as I hope you're studying, you're gonna see the word life, 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 life. And it has to do with that vitality, that, that peace that transcends um, all understanding. And what I tried to communicate last week um, was what we can do is instead of making Jesus our daily bread, where he says, I am the bread of life, what we try to do is we, typically we do one of two things, that we either live in worry of the future or we live in regret from the past, right? And that instead of just uh, taking God's grace just enough for that day, just enough for that day and living for that day, we, we can waste our vitality worrying about will I be enough in the future, or we can waste our vitality regretting things that we did in the past. And the message of Jesus when he says, I am the bread of life, is he saying, I want you to live just today. I, I will give you just what you need just for today. And this is not something I, I need to talk you into uh, because what we can do Everybody in this room is old enough to say, I have wasted an incredible amount of my vitality on worry. Amen. Right? Everybody in this room is old enough. Think of a story, and I guarantee you could have story after story after story of there was this thing coming up on your calendar. Maybe it was a week away. Maybe it was a month away. And we could all have stories where we constantly uh, worried about will I be enough for that day? When that thing comes, am I going to be able to get through it? And instead of living day by day with Jesus as our bread of life just for today, we ignore today and we worry about the future and worry about the future. And how many people in here, and I want you to raise your hand, can you look back on a situation and realize the amount of worry and angst and vitality that I put into this thing was not worth the outcome, that you get to the thing and you say, that was it? 
Now, why is that? Because when you got to the thing, what did God do? He gave you what you needed for that day. Who in here has that story, honestly, that you look back and you say, I wasted so much of my life, my vitality on worrying about this future thing. And that's why Jesus comes along and he says, hey, your forefathers ate the manna in the the desert and died, but I am the manna that comes down from heaven. And he says, I am the bread of life. And what he's saying is, I am your daily portion. And this is so hard for me uh, because some of us are worriers, right? And we can call it planning if you want to sound good. But some of us are worriers. And instead of just acting day by day, instead of saying God gives us our portion just for today, we constantly worry and over plan for the future. And if you'll remember at the end of John chapter 6, Jesus kind of taught this message, and it says that everybody looked at each other, and they said, this is a hard teaching. They said, this is a hard teaching. And that's when I looked at you guys, and I said, let's be honest, this is a hard teaching. The idea to, to just live for today, the idea that anything that happens in the future that Jesus will give me what I need for that day, come on. Come on, let's be real for a second. This is a hard teaching, right? Don't look at me like you don't, like you don't agree, right? This idea that, that all I need to get through this moment, all I need to get through this difficulty is, is just my relationship with Jesus. Come on. That's a hard teaching. But that's what it means to walk by faith one day at a time, one step at a time. It's a difficult teaching, right? Um, And so that's what we looked at last week. Today, Jesus is going to go on his second I am statement in the gospel of John as he's going to say, not only am I the the bread of life come to give you life and vitality daily, just daily, he says, I am the light of the world. This is a second I am statement. He says, I am the light of the world. And what we'll look at, I'll give you a quick outline, is I want to talk about how um, what light does is light exposes darkness, um, and then light also uh, defeats uh, darkness and shows us things that maybe uh, we'd never seen before. Okay, and so let's go to um, let's go to the beginning. Let's go to the very beginning. So where would that be? John chapter one. Okay, John chapter one, verse one. John chapter one uh, predates Genesis chapter one because Genesis chapter one says, "In the beginning, God what." created the heavens and the earth. John, what he does when he writes this gospel, he's trying to tell us who Jesus is. Um, And so what he does, he says, hey, let's take this back to the beginning. He doesn't start with Jesus's ministry. He doesn't start with Jesus's birth. He doesn't go back and and show us how Jesus is uh, related to um, Abraham. He, He doesn't go back and show us how he's related to Adam. He says, no, Let's go back to the very beginning. He says, I'm going to show you where, where Jesus began. And not, it's not really the word began because he's always been. So John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, so this is the earliest your Bible references is right here, was the word. Or your Bible may say logos. And that word word, it means like uh, the reason or the plan, the, the, the reason for something. And, the, and listen to this. He says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with 
God in the beginning. Verse three, through him all things were made. Okay, so that's where Genesis chapter one picks up. Do you see that? So he's saying before anything, before everything, there was God. And, and, and God uh, was this living word, okay? Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was, what's the word right there? Life. That life was the, what's that word? Light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And so what we're going to talk about today is this idea of dealing with darkness. John starts his gospel here and he reminds us, hey, this light, uh, this person, this son of God who is God has always been, he's not a created being, he always was there, and he's always been this life, he's always been this light, and then he says, but the darkness has not understood it, and so what I want to talk about today, when we're talking about darkness, um, we're not necessarily talking about um, people being saved and people being not saved, we're talking about walking in darkness in areas of our lives. And so here, I'll, I'd like to show out, uh, I'd like to show the, uh, God, what's the word? Um, our, our, I guess our, our common um, plan for dealing uh, with darkness. It goes back to Genesis uh, chapter three, okay? You don't have to go there, but, but while I'm going there, I want you to go to Psalm 32. Go to Psalm 32 real quick. Okay, because when we're dealing with darkness in our lives, there's two options really. One, we can either hide in it, or number two, we can expose it and defeat it. Okay, and we're going to see where does Jesus uh, fit in with all of this. So if you remember, and I'll just talk out of Genesis chapter 2. You remember Genesis chapter 2, that's when God made everything, um, and everything was perfect, and he, he made man, and he made uh, all the animals. And then if you remember, he looked at man, and he's, after, after he made everything, he says, hey, this is good, this is good. This is good. And then he makes man and recognizes man is alone. And what does he say? This is not good for man to be alone. And so he makes a uh, helper suitable for him. And so we've got Adam and Eve. And then the end of Genesis chapter 2 is the best verse in the entire Bible. It says the man and the woman were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay. And so uh, that's great, a husband just hanging out with his wife naked, and there's no shame at all. And God looks at him and says, be fruitful and multiply. And I'm not going to tell you what that means. I hope you know already, but it's a great plan, by the way, okay? Hang out with your wife naked, be fruitful and multiply. And, and it, the last words he ever said was, and they felt no shame, okay? And so, so even with this picture, you get a picture of uh, man uh, in, in perfect fellowship with others, with other man, well, you know, with woman, and you get this picture of man in perfect fellowship with God, and the result of this perfect fellowship is what? No shame. Is, is that they have everything they need, is that God provides for them, and there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no fear. And then what happens... <clears throat> 
Genesis chapter 3, we all know this story. Uh, the, the serpent deceives Eve. She eats of the fruit. And as a result, the fall of man, and there's the curse. And then do you remember, it says whenever sin entered the world, when God's plan was fractured, what happened? It says that their eyes were open. And they looked at each other, and suddenly it says they realized they were naked. And as a result, they felt what? Shame. And so what did they do? They said, hey, we've got, to, we've got to solve this problem. They said, we have to solve this problem. And they went and they found a bunch of fig leaves and they covered up. And it's man's attempt to cover his guilt, to cover his shame using what? Using his own ability. Okay, and then let's add on to the story. Do you remember God appears? He comes in and he, and he wants to be with them. And he says, hey, Adam, where are you? And what does Adam say? He says, I heard your voice and I was, does anyone know the word? Afraid. And what did I do? I hid. And so we, I want to contrast this, that God's original plan is perfect fellowship between his people, perfect fellowship with the Lord, and that there's no such thing as guilt, there's no such thing as shame, and there's no fear. And when the world was fractured, suddenly we have guilt, shame, and our solution, and, and this has been our cycle from, from Genesis 3 on, is that we now hide and we're afraid and we try to cover up our shame with our own um, accomplishments. We try to hide behind what we have done in order to not really uh, expose who we really are. And this is, uh, this is why this idea of hiding, remember we're talking about darkness. We'll get to Jesus in just a second. We're talking about darkness. There's one of two things we do with darkness. Number one is sometimes we just hide in it, right? Are you in Psalm 32? Psalm 32 references, well, let me get there. You'd think I would have it. Uh, in here. Psalm 32, read along with me. I think it starts in verse, uh, in verse uh, we'll just start in verse 1. Uh, this is a psalm of David. He says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no, what's the word right there? deceit. There's no hiding. He's saying, blessed is the man who walks in open. He, he's, what's he describing? Genesis chapter 2. He's saying, blessed is the man who there's no deceit, who there's no separation between him and God. Blessed is the man who, look, whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Okay? That the Lord provides a way to cover our sin. Okay? Do you remember when God approached Adam and Eve, and that they had their fig leaf uh, bathing suits on or whatever. Do you remember what he did? It says after that, he went and he brought them what? To cover up. Fur. It says he brought them animal skins. Okay, now, now, now this is, don't miss this image here as well. They tried to cover up their guilt. They tried to cover up their shame with what? Their own accomplishments. And God says, Hey, no, you have to take this animal skin. By the way, how do you get animal skin? Something has to die to cover your shame. Okay, don't miss that. God didn't say, hey, th that'll do. He says, no, the, the way you're trying to deal with your shame, 
It does not work. Anyone amen with that, by the way? Is that, is that everybody in this room is old enough that we have walked through extreme shame. We have walked through extreme guilt. We have walked through fear. Oh, we're so afraid. And that what we do, this is our pattern, by the way, established by Adam, John chapter 2, is that we assemble, we work as hard as we can to create things to hide behind is that we create things, accomplishments, that if I can just hide behind this thing, it will cover my guilt and shame. And so this is why you'll have people, and, and I've, I'm, I fall into this trap too, that we may run our entire lives trying to reach this accomplishment thinking this will satisfy are y'all with me on this? This is why you have people that think if I can just get the right education, if I can, if I can get like a, a, a master's or, or if I can have the word doctor in front of my name, that will, that's the thing I can hide behind. Or if I can just get a big enough house or if I can just get the nice enough car or if I can just get my family to behave, if I could just get my family to be perfect so that everybody can see then I can, I can hide behind that. Man, this is the pattern of man. And God comes along and he looks at our accomplishments. He looks at these things that we work so hard to fasten together. And he says, that's not going to do it. And, and by the way, guys, uh, experience uh, affirms this. Are you all with me on this? Have you ever gotten exactly what you wanted have you ever gotten the title? Have you ever gotten the right bank account? Have you ever gotten the perfect spouse, which doesn't exist, by the way? What happens? What do you find out? This doesn't satisfy. And you realize this cannot cover my fear. This cannot cover my guilt. This cannot cover my shame. And this is why when God looks at their accomplishments, he says, hey, that's not going to do. And, he, and notice, he does not say, hey, you need to go kill something and cover this with skin. What does he do? He, don't miss this, he provides. He says, here, this is the only thing that will cover your guilt and your shame. And it's an, hopefully you recognize, this is an image of Jesus that the Lord provides. Your guilt, your shame in a dark world will not be covered up by your accomplishments here. Something must die in order to atone for your sins. And just like he did in Genesis chapter 3 where he provided, same thing several thousand years later, he sends his own son and says, hey, something must die in your place to cover your guilt and to cover your shame, right? And so <clears throat> the first thing I said was when we're dealing with darkness, number one, what we can do is hide in it Right, and this is what we've already talked about is that we can hide behind our accomplishments. Uh, we can hide behind these things and it just doesn't satisfy. And then the second thing we can do, let's continue reading Psalm 32. Verse three, uh, again, uh, this is David. He says, when I kept silent, what's he talking about? He's saying, when I kept silent about darkness. He's saying, when I kept silent about my sin, when I kept silent about my guilt, my shame, when I was just trying to hide to cover up my guilt and shame. Look what he says. My bones, what? Wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of 
summer. Okay, so, ooh, excuse me. So, so pause there for a second. David is saying, and again, we're still talking about darkness. We're talking about hiding in darkness. David is saying, when I chose to hide, when I chose to cover up, he says, my bones wasted away. He says, my strength was sapped. Now, hold on, David. Are you just, are you being a little overly dramatic here? Honestly, my bones wasted away. My strength was sapped. Well, here, let's, let's play this game. I, I've been there. Okay. And I think everybody in this room is, is old enough to say that we've been there, is that we have been through a time in our life that when, when darkness entered our life, instead of exposing it, we tried to hide in it. We tried to just stay quiet. We tried to deal with it ourselves. What happens over time? You, you are exhausted. What, why are you exhausted? Because you're doing two things. Number one, we're trying to fix this darkness ourselves. And at the same time, we are trying to project this perfect lifestyle to others. And the reason we're exhausted is because you're living two lives. And you're doing something you're not designed to do. Let me say that again. The reason that's exhausting is because we're living two lives. One life is our secret life in darkness that we're, even, even if we're trying to defeat the darkness, we're trying our best to say, hey, I can get through this. Just let me read the right books. Let me discipline myself. Let me try to overcome this thing. That's our one life. And then at the same time, we have to project everyone, to everyone that there's no struggle here. We have to project to everyone that, oh, no, I'm doing, gr- I'm, I'm doing fine. You know, we have, we have to find, uh, before we post on Facebook, we have to crop out some things. We have to put the filter on it. We have to look and say, ah, no, my kid's shirt's all messy in that one. Let me put one on that's clean. And, and this is, and I mean it, I think this is why some of us are so exhausted. Because we're living two lives. One is that we're trying to hide in this darkness. We're trying to wrestle the darkness ourselves. And at the same time, we're still trying to project to others uh, this perfect life that doesn't work. And what happens is we get into this cycle of darkness, right? And, and again, all I'm doing, man, this is super depressing. I just realized, holy cow, stay with me here, okay? It gets a little better, I promise. We get into this cycle of darkness. And again, Everybody in this room is old enough. We, we all have this story of there's this thing in our life that we want to clean up. And so we, we say, hey, I'm going to solve this myself. Um, and, and so what happens over time? We fail. Because of fail, failure, what happens? Guilt, shame, isolation, failure, guilt, shame, isolation, failure. When there's darkness, there's always isolation. Do y'all know what I'm talking about here? And it's this cycle of failure, guilt, shame, isolation, and repeat, right? And this is why many of us, both in the church and outside the church, there's a point at which we just, we're no longer struggling to defeat this darkness, but we just learn how to manage life with it. And Jesus comes along with this image of darkness and, and to a world, he says, hey, in a dark world, he stands up in front of him. He says, I am what? The light of the world. Okay. So this is why that's important. In, in any area of your life where there's darkness, do you want to know how to defeat darkness, by the way? 
Do you want to know how? Do you scream at it? No. Do you, do you, do you fight it? Do you sweep it out? No. What do you, how do you defeat darkness? You turn on the, you turn on the light, right? And this is why when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, this is why it's so impactful that it would hit them like a ton of bricks. Uh, look at verse 5 of, of Psalm 32. David has just described his strength being sapped. David has just described living two lives. And then he says this, verse 5, Then I what? I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the, what's that word right there? Guilt of my sin. Notice he doesn't say you forgave my sin. He says, no, you covered the what? Guilt, right? This is what it means to walk in light. What did David just do? He just turned on the light. He turned on, instead of going through that cycle of self-help, failure, guilt, isolation, self-help, failure, guilt, isolation, he recognizes, I can not do this on my own. He says, I can not. He looked at, he would have opened up his Bible. He would have looked at Genesis chapter two. He would have looked at Genesis chapter three, and he would have recognized since, since Genesis chapter three, man has been trying on our own to cover up, to, to do things on our own. And he finally confesses. He says, I cannot do this. And he turns on the light. Verse six, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I love that, the idea of you are my hiding place. Uh, The thing I always say about that is I want you to imagine and I've said this before, so this might be a review. Uh, um, imagine that like we're, we're on a, a, a big, I don't know, like in a national forest, right? And there's no uh, roads, or, or let's imagine that um, there's a forest fire that's taken over this forest, right? And I want you to imagine that all the roads have been cut off, okay? And look at us. I mean, imagine we're, we're in this area, I mean, hundreds of miles from any help, and there's this forest fire bearing down on us, okay? What do you do, okay? When there's an unescapable death approaching you, what do you do? Do you try to outrun it? No, you, you can't outrun a forest fire. Um, do you try to... Um, just bunker down inside a creek bed or something and pray it goes over you, no, you'll suffocate. You won't get any oxygen. What do you do? And this is very practical, and I wasn't a Boy Scout, so you should be impressed that I know this, right? What do you do? I mean, there is an inescapable death heading towards you. What do you do? This is what you do, by the way, and the, uh, I hope this saves your life one day, is you don't run from the fire. What you do is you take out a lighter, and if the wind is blowing this way, what you do is you start a fire. And as the wind is blowing this way, this thing is called an escape fire, okay? You start a fire, and as this fire burns this direction, by the way, 
what we do is we then, where do we go? We go into the place that the fire has already burned. That's where we are safe. Why is that? Because the wrath of that fire has already consumed that. And so let me say this. The safest place is to be where that wrath has already been poured out. Do you see where I'm going with this, by the way? This is why when David says, you are my hiding place, this is what it means to be in Christ, is that the wrath of God has been and is pouring out on mankind. And guys, there's only one hope. And that's Jesus who says, I am the light of the world. So this fire that's coming down upon us, some people are going to spend their lives trying to outrun it, right? Some people are going to try to hide from it. Some people, they're going to stand where the fire has already uh, consumed. And that's what it means to be in Christ, is that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, and that when we are united in Christ, that's the only safe place, okay? And so the, the second thing I have here when I said dealing with darkness, number one, two of our big options are we're either going to hide in it, or number two is uh, we're going to defeat it. We're going to turn on uh, the light. I want you to imagine, um, imagine you walk into a room and it's a very poorly lit room. And I want to point out two things here. You may look around and, and you know, the lights are about 50%. Uh, two things are happening here. Number one, when, when there's a lot of darkness in a room, number one, you, you may not recognize that it's kind of dirty, right? Have you ever walked into a room and thought, hey, this place looks great. And then you flick on the light. When you flick on the light, two things happen. One, you may recognize, hey, there's some spots to clean up here. But number two, what you also recognize is there's some really beautiful things in this room that I couldn't see beforehand, right? And so what does it mean when we say it, uh, to turn on the light, when we say that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that does two things. Light does two things. It exposes darkness, and then it reveals new things. It reveals things that are that are beautiful that maybe we had never uh, recognized. Um, what this means is that um, outside of Jesus, there is a spiritual blindness, okay? We cannot see and feel what is ultimate, but we, we will get them in a sense, right? Think of it this way, like a blind person. Does a blind person understand, uh, can they really feel the sun? Yes, they can, right? But do they understand and appreciate light? Do they know what light is? No, right? Um, what you can do, and this is true, is if you were to ask a blind person, if you were to say, hey, tell me, what, what is the word or what is the color red to you? Uh, what they do is they say red is what it feels like to be in the sun, okay? They say that, that warm sensation, that's red. And then if you were to say, hey, what's the color blue? What is blue to you? And they'd say, and again, this is on average, not all of them would say this. They'd say, oh, blue, that's the feeling of like water, like cool water, is it just feels blue. And then if you said, uh, what's the color green to you? And again, this is a blind person. Well, they, uh, on average, they say it feels like, like wet grass. It just kind of feels like growth, right? And so here's my question. Do they have a sense of what blue, red, and green are? They do. But are they really experiencing it fully? Uh-uh. 
they're not. They have a sense of it. This is such an image of what spiritual blindness is. This is such an image of what it means to live, to be in darkness. When there's darkness, we cannot appreciate things fully as we're supposed to. So let me say this. Can someone who's not in a relationship with Jesus, can they have a great beach vacation? Yeah. Can they enjoy a good meal? Yes, they can, right? Can they enjoy physical intimacy with their spouse? Yes, they can. But this is what I am saying. Um, ex to experience the fullness of those things, we need to be in a relationship with Jesus, right? This is what light does, is it helps us to appreciate there's beautiful things around us that maybe we'd never recognized before. Um, in 2005, Tom Brady was on an interview with 60 Minutes. You may have heard about this. It's a little bit dated. Uh, Tom Brady, the quarterback, he's been, he's been with the New England Patriots. Who's he with now? Is it the Buccaneers? Anyways, okay, yeah. Um, so Tom Brady, if you don't know, I don't know how you, how you don't know, um, he's, in the, he's in the GOAT discussion, the greatest of all time. Uh, he's at the top of that list right now. Is this the greatest quarterback that's ever lived? Right now, does he have five Super Bowl rings? I can't remember. Six? Wow, okay. So here, here's Tom Brady. Um, he wants for nothing. His, his wife literally, I think, is a Victoria's Secret model. I think that's correct, okay? Um, he is more successful than any of us in here will ever be. He's made more money than any of us in here ever will. He has set goals that are higher than ours, and he has met them repeatedly, six times it sounds like. Okay? He wants for nothing. He has more popularity than we will ever be. When I look around the room, guys, he's better looking than all of us, by the way. The dude, he's just a very attractive man. It's almost unfair that God gives some people that much talent, and then he also says, ooh, here, I'm going to give you the face of a model as well. I'm like, come on, man. Like, he's, he's better looking uh, than all of us. Uh, one day, they're going to build a statue of him, I promise you, outside of the Patriots uh, stadium. I promise you. This dude, if there's an accomplished man, he is it, there is there's nothing that he has set out that he wasn't able to do in this interview and this was in 2005 at this point he only had a measly three Super Bowl rings so pretty embarrassing okay so this is Tom Brady speaking this this is the the words of a man who who is spiritually blind and I'm not trying to pick on him and who's walking in darkness and what you'll see is that when there's darkness there's not light and he can't enjoy things like God designed them to be enjoyed these are his words right here he says what and you need to go watch the video it's he he looks a little distraught he says why this is a quote why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me I mean Maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, there's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be, right? Uh, this is a man... This is, these are the words of someone that's walking in darkness, that's walking without Jesus. Is that he's set these goals, he's met all of them, and he's still wanting. Do you see that? He, by the way, his fig leaves, 
that he used to cover up are much more impressive than ours. Unbelievable resume. And what does he still? He still says, this still doesn't cover this shame. He, this still doesn't cover this fear. Like he's got this, he's got this hole in his heart that can not be filled with any of these accomplishments. These are the words of what it means to walk in darkness. Um, I used to be a youth pastor for a long time, and people are asking, what's the difference between being a youth pastor and adult pastor? And the answer is nothing. You know that, right? And, and this is what I mean, and, and I'm kind of joking, but I'm also kind of not joking. All of us, and sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn on the light for a second, and I'm going to expose all of us for a second. All of us are just insecure middle school girls. All of us are so insecure all of us live in fear that we're going to be found out. All of us in certain areas, there's darkness where we have guilt and shame and we don't want people to know. And so what's the difference between being an adult pastor and a youth pastor? Nothing. The, the only difference is that as adults, our accomplishments are greater. Our fig leaves are bigger is that we're able to hide a little bit better. But, but here's the thing. This is why it's so frustrating is that this lie that the, sa- the Satan, this lie that the enemy wants us to believe is this lie. Hey, in that area of life where there's darkness, you're completely alone. You're completely alone. Nobody understands you. You're the only one that struggles with that. You're the only person who has doubts. You're the only person who, who struggles with, I just don't even feel like a good dad sometimes. You're the only person who struggles with, sometimes I don't feel like loving my wife. You're the only person that struggles with doubt in your faith. But the truth is that we're all in this together. I promise you, and this is so frustrating because some of y'all just aren't going to hear this. When, we would, when I was a youth pastor, we would play this game. This is the last thing I'll say, by the way. We'd play this game where we would be in the church, like at an overnight thing, like a lock-in. And um, in the church, we would go through, and the church was a pretty good size. It had the sanctuary. And, and I would go through and unlock every single door, first, second floor. Everything was accessible. You know, not anything they're going to get hurt. And then you go through, and in this game, it's called Sardines. I don't know if you've ever played Sardines. It's tons of fun. We'd go through the entire church and turn off all the lights. So it's just, it's not pitch black. There's a little bit of light you can see. And the way Sardines would work is we would all start in one room, and everybody would partner up, and it couldn't be guy, girl, obviously. And so everyone would partner up, and... um, and I would pick one group, the first, the first two people, and they would have two minutes to go into the church, and they would hide. They would just hide in the dark somewhere, okay? And so what they did is they would go and sit and hide and not move. I mean, you, and people would, you, people would get in closets and curl up in the corner. And then when the game starts, here's the game. It sounds stupid, but it's so much fun, is the rest of us would go to try to find them. But you're thinking, Russell, you're just describing hide and seek. No, I'm not. The, the thing, the reason it's called sardines is because when you would, I mean, you, we, you would be feeling along the wall. You couldn't see a thing, and you'd feel someone's head. And then they'd start to giggle, <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. But when you found them, you know what you did is you would sit down next to them, and you'd curl up, and you'd, you'd squinch in. And so as you were walking around the church, as more people found the, the hiders, you'd start to notice there's fewer and fewer people walking around, okay? And the reason it's called sardines is because 
you know, there'd be 40 or 50 of us playing, and by the time the last two people found the, the group, once everybody's in there is you're all packed in this little place like sardines. That's why it's called sardines, okay? And the interesting thing about this game is we would, we'd be sitting in complete darkness, okay? Um, and we'd finally figure out, hey, this is the last two people coming in. We think they're going to find us. We think they are. And we'd be sitting in complete darkness, and we would all be packed in. And, and since there's complete darkness, we'd all think, oh, there's so few of us in here. We'd, it would always feel like, well, I know there's me. There's someone here. There's someone here. But every time the game was over, I'd say, okay, I'm going to turn on the lights. And I'd flick on the lights. And what would happen? We look around, and there's 50 of us crammed in this little room. And the reality is when the light is turned on, you recognize we are all in the exact same place. Do you follow me on this? This idea that I'm all alone is false, right? What's God's plan? Get us back to Genesis chapter 2. What's Genesis chapter 2? Perfect Fellowship between God and man and perfect fellowship between what? Between others, right? And there's, by the way, what's the last words in Genesis chapter 2? There's no shame. There's no shame. And so this is why we always lift up the cross of Jesus Christ because God, he says, this will cover your shame. And I promise you guys, this is, this is the part that's so frustrating. It's because we can be speaking these words, but right now, I guarantee in all of us in our hearts, there's a part going, I can't tell. I can't do it. There's, there's, a, there's a part of our heart that is in darkness, and I promise you, everybody in here is saying, if I tell someone, I will be all alone. If I tell them this truth, there's no way. But this is the truth, is when the light is turned on, I guarantee you're not the only one. And when that light comes on, it exposes darkness and it opens up things beautifully like you've never seen them uh, before. So I said at the beginning, when dealing with darkness, there's two options. One, we can hide in it. Two, we can defeat it. I want to defeat darkness. I really do. How do we do it? We're not going to make fig leaves, by the way. What are we going to do? We're going to put on the blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to be people that we hide in Christ, that he is our hiding place. Psalm 32, we're going to be people that exalt the cross of Jesus, and we're going to be people that are in fellowship with one another, and we take risks of being truly known, and that like in Psalm 32, that sure, you can keep silent. You really can. You can keep silent, but I promise you, your bones are going to waste away. Your strength, your vitality is going to be sapped. And Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full, to the fullest. And so this is, uh, this is our prayer. This is my prayer for us is that we would be people of Genesis chapter 2. Not that we're walking around naked. That's awkward. But that we are emotionally, we're just open. We're just exposed. And that there's nothing that we hide. Why? Because Jesus paid it all, that perfect sacrifice that God provided himself. Uh, you want to be blessed, don't you? People don't bless each other now. We, I'm, we're supposed to COVID shame you. Who sneezed? 
Was it? Oh my gosh. How would you? Can't believe you sneezed in public trying to kill us all. Um, <clears throat> well, let, let me pray for us, guys, and then I, we'll take our offering, and I've got, we've got an announcement. Um, and so let me pray. Father, thank you that you are light, God, and we confess, God, we confess that we still try to hide. God, we confess we still try to gather fig leaves and we're still trying to put together accomplishments and we're still trying to solve the problem of fear and guilt and shame by hiding. We still do that. We do. And so, God, I pray that we would be people that we would constantly embrace the cross of Jesus Christ, that we would constantly teach one another the gospel, that we would constantly push one another into open fellowship, into, into truly knowing one another, and that then we would receive each other in that, that there would be no fear. In, in, the, in your words, perfect love casts out all fear. And so we want to be people of your love. We want to be people of... Um, power and love and a sound mind and we want to see darkness flee lord i do i want to see darkness overcome i want to see it defeated and so help us to just turn on the light lord that we would just run to jesus uh, that we would just recognize that you provided the way you did but we have to accept that and so uh, lord i pray um, that we would just be people as usual. Lord, give us soft hearts and give us tough skin that we wouldn't get those backwards, that we wouldn't have tough hearts and soft skin. God, I pray that we would have soft hearts like you and that we would have tough skin to persevere. Um, and so this is our prayer. Amen.